This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. And our goal in all of it is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we jump into the episode for today, I want you to know about the Discipleship.org Collective. This is an online community for disciples and disciple makers. You can get access to this collective for free with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, courses, and even personal and church disciple making assessments. It's pretty amazing. And it's a community, so you have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers through it as well. You might also be interested to know that there's a premium access option as well, which includes courses, certifications, and even online gatherings with other leaders. Check this out at discipleship.org collective and sign up for free. Go to discipleship.org collective to get your free membership with the discipleship.org collective. Today, we're featuring an episode from Lionshare and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Transformational Disciple Making. The episode for today is called Vocational Disciple Making Panel, featuring Sonia Bierson. Um, we want to welcome you. So, uh, we had a, uh, our last session on vocational disciple making, and uh, this is a, a panel that's attached to it. So, let me just, um, if you're not familiar with who we are as Lionshare, let me just give you just three minutes here. So, so this is kind of what we do. This is, we call these our lion share cornerstones. So foundational disciple making is, you know, Susie comes to Jesus today. How do you help her in her first 30 days get grounded so she can move forward? Formational is building on that and really growing them more in the image of Jesus. How do they hear God's voice? How do they get to know his character? What the heck's warfare? How do I walk in godly relation? What's the cross? All that stuff, all right? Um Leadership disciple-making is how do we shape leaders in the ways of God? So that we would differentiate leadership mentoring versus leadership discipling, not in a clear-cut way, but because mentoring could do, do this too. But leadership disciple-making is you're discipling people in leadership based on the ways of God and his character. It's not just good ideas and concepts that worked for business or whatever. It's actually, you could say, here's where this is rooted in Scripture. Okay, so you're grounding them in that. And then this session is on vocational disciple-making. What we mean by that is how do you disciple people who are followers of Jesus to live and lead out of God's ways within their vocation so that they can glorify the Lord in it, the kingdom can be advanced, and really to recognize that the primary reason you're still on the planet and God even puts you in that vocation is you're, you're meant to be his representative, his ambassador. All right, so you're going to hear a little bit more about that today. We, our last session, we spent all the time on that. Um, here's the tracks that we'll do with following this session. Kent Chevalier, this guy right here, is going to be doing the process of transformation, the Holy Spirit and disciple-making, the key role that the Spirit of God plays in that. It's very, very practical and tangible, so it's something that you can leave here and, and do. The pacing of Jesus we'll do tomorrow morning, myself and Nancy Reese, who's not in here at the moment, but... Um, we find most leaders are rushing so much that they have no margin. And uh, and I was beginning to struggle with that about uh, close to 20 years ago. And so I just paused and did a study of the life of Jesus. How did he pace himself? Because he was never rushed, but he was always on time. So what, what are principles? And so we'll look at that. And then tomorrow afternoon, we're going to deal, uh, Sean and Heather and I, with what we're calling hot topics. And uh, it will be, actually be a session that won't be taped so that we have some freedom just to kind of talk. And, and Sean and Heather and I are going to provide some ways of God principles from Scripture on how to approach these things. Because we have, as disciple makers, we have to know how do we deal with these. And then we'll take about 20 minutes and do Q&A, but it's not just going to be random questions. We want them related to things in your life that you may be wrestling with or your situation so we can maybe uh, help in practical ways. So that'll, that'll be tomorrow. So um, Sonia uh, Bierson has been a, uh, a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, she has been very successful in the media, doing things with ABC World News Tonight, Dateline, and she made a choice out of obedience to the Lord to step out of that realm of society to disciple her two boys, uh, who are 12 and, and 9, as he almost said, Josh said, no, I'm closer to 10, all right? So 
So Sonia's bringing some great experience on that, and she's invited four of our friends to come and join us and uh, help you learn a little bit from them as, as they flesh out what does the vocational expression of discipleship look like. So, Sonia. So if you saw in the description for this panel, it said, are we equipping Daniels to disciple other Daniels and Lydia's to disciple other Lydia's in the vocation where God has placed them? Uh, and that was actually the description I wrote for this panel because that's what I feel needs to be going on right now in our world today. Uh, as Dave uh, mentioned in his introduction, my name is Sonia Beerson and I worked in broadcast journalism for more than a decade. Uh, I'm a big believer in the need for vocational discipleship because it's something I searched for throughout my entire career. I looked for somebody who was a little farther ahead in their spiritual journey, but also in the vocational journey ahead of me. And I found that either people were unwilling to disciple me because they said, I don't like the idea of discipleship because I don't know more than you, or they weren't ahead of me career-wise, professionally, right? So if anything, it was the opposite. Um, and when I first met Dave, one of the things he said to me is, you know, I want to apologize to you and to other people in your generation because we have failed you by not being available to you to disciple your generation. Um, we need to change that. And so that's kind of how my husband and I first kind of got involved with Dave, with Lionshare, with the concept of how do we finish our lives well? How do we pass on... Uh, the concept of vocational discipleship because most of us are not working in ministry. Now, uh, I am actually a missionary kid. I'm a MKPK, so I'm a, a double whammy. But my parents um, were very, very strong in their belief from the very beginning that there was no division between secular and sacred. So they were bivocational. They had their regular jobs during the week. They also did, you know, church ministry on Wednesday nights, Friday nights, you know, Sunday. Um, and they fully expected that uh, my brother and I would not be going into the ministry. In fact, my mother cried when my brother decided to go to seminary. She's like, you don't want this work. <laughs> this is a terrible life. Um, and uh, but, but for us, we always believed that there was no division between the secular and the sacred. Uh, when I left college... Uh, I was very involved with Campus Crusade, and when I decided not to go on staff with Crusade, it was like they didn't know what to do with me, right? There was no path. There, there was no, what do we do with you next? And when I went into a work field that didn't align well with regular church, right? Small groups and Sunday morning services, Saturday night services even, because of the kind of work that I was doing, again, the church didn't really fit with the kind of work I was doing. So this is a passion of mine. And so I wanted to um, bring together some folks who are friends of Lionshare, some folks who are local um, here in Tennessee uh, as well, to talk a little bit about what vocational discipleship looks like in their world. Um, so Rochelle Brock is the Director of Ministry Development at Leaving the Cocoon Prison Ministry. I love that name. Um, she has an incredible bio that I'm sure you, can, uh, you have already read, but if you haven't read uh, on the website. But in her role as counselor, minister, and certified peer recovery specialist, she isn't just leading Bible studies in prison. She's actually discipling incarcerated women to disciple others, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, next to her is Keith Stansel, uh, who's a veteran of sales and marketing for internationally known music labels uh, and entertainers such as Garth Brooks and Tina Turner and Mercy Me, whose song I walked into at my wedding, uh, and Amy Grant. He and his wife Diana now manage artists and have been involved in Lion Share's annual artist retreat uh, for artists and entertainers called Sela. He knows the challenges that that artists and entertainers face, being on the road, tying identity to their success or lack of success on the charts, and why discipleship is so important in that field. Uh, next to him is Kent Chevalier, who is on Lionshare's board. 
and he is the newly minted chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers and a pastor at Northway Christian Community in Pittsburgh. Um, he is navigating how to disciple professional football players and staff um, whose world is the team, right? Success and failure on the field, identity being wrapped up in what you do, spiritual strongholds, building relationships in the best and worst of times. This is discipleship in the trenches, right? And finally, our international representative, <laughs> Chet Ingram, who is on staff at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon, Canada. Anybody been to Saskatoon? Okay. So, um, <laughs> where he works primarily with college and young adults. Now, he's always had a passion for the, uh, the next generation since his days with Youth with a Mission. But after witnessing public falls of leaders whose faith he thought was so strong, he became focused on how to intentionally disciple uh, people in such a way that there was resiliency and strong spiritual formation among the next generation. And you might say to me, why is he on this panel? Like, next generation, that's not a vocation. Well, they're about to launch into vocation, yeah. right? So it's key to, to, in, to be talking about these topics uh, with that age group. So I'm actually going to pass this mic around, old school style, um, and I'm going to take you guys a little bit one at a time. So Rochelle, I'm going to start with you. Um, how does the fact that you were an incarcerated woman give you standing as you share and teach the women in the prison? Um, I think I become the epistle of what discipleship looks like. Um, many say rehabilitation. Rehabilitation is discipleship. Um, when the, my, the day of my release, I went to the library. I stayed there for seven hours because I had the opportunity then to read every Bible, every concordance, and everything that I needed to kind of guide me. Um, and then I created what I call my border life. These people are still in my life 25 years later. Um, they are the people that held me accountable to my discipleship and walked me through when I needed to understand certain things um, about what the Lord was doing in my life. Um, um, it allowed me to then um, grow into uh, what God was forming in me. And so now I take those truths. Um, it's kind of something what I share with the women. Um, when you're in elementary school and um, you're learning your handwriting, um, the teacher puts everything up and you're trying to so desperately make your look just as professional as hers, but it never happens um, because um, you're forming your own handwriting. And so I'm just trying to show them how to create their own handwriting and their discipleship with the Lord um, because their story won't look like my story. Their discipleship won't look like my story, but the discipleship is necessary for them to get to the next place beyond just the basic re-entry resources, um, their relationship that they form with the Lord and for that to stand once they're released. Um, that was key to why the recidivism and why I didn't go back um, because of that. I had a foundation before I left, but then I had to grow that foundation once being released. Yeah, um, even if you had not been a previously incarcerated woman, do you feel like um, that it wouldn't matter? as long as you're coming in and meeting these women where they're at? Mm -hmm. um, I think yes, but it, and it starts with consistency because you're dealing with a different element of women. You're dealing with most women who are experienced trauma um, and mental illness. So for them to trust you and to receive from you about this 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 God and that Jesus loves them and that um, there's a plan for their lives, you have to first be able to go in and just gain the trust and understanding them and helping them identify their traumas. Um, part of what I do in my discipleship. Um, I am a trauma-informed trained trainer, so I train all of our mentors what trauma looks like so they can help identify that, but use that in their discipleship, um, helping them to identify their trauma even in the Word so they can be disciples. So you can. Um, I think um, this is something um, you, you, you do have to be, I think, called to prison ministry um, because of what you deal with in the long suffering in it. 
Um, and so um, there's a different discipleship training element because you're dealing with um, um, issues of manipulations, um, issue of sexual identity, um, um, issues with abuse. So there's just a different training that needs to come. But um, um, anyone can disciple those women, you know, one, just by loving them and being consistent to show up. What is the spiritual stronghold, you know, kind of that, that satanic lie that you feel like has to, is the thing that takes up most of your time when you're discipling incarcerated women? You were giving me an example as you were using our tool, a discipleship journey, with some of the women recently. Mm -hmm. um, the spirit of rejection, I fight with it every day. It is one of the greatest strongholds with the women, um, so they can't identify with the father because they feel like I'm unloved, um, and who's gonna love me, and who's going to receive me if they know all these things about me. So that's one of my greatest strongholds, to first just break down that wall that you are loved, and that regardless of why you're there, I deal with women that are there for murder. I deal with women there um, for something as small as a DUI, or something as they violated their parole. Um, but even in that, they all believe with low self-esteem that there's no hope for me, that um, helping them to identify that the old is gone and the new has come is one of the greatest struggles that we have. So they replace that with romances and finances is the number one issue for women. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, one of the teachings, one of the key teachings of spiritual formation is that if we don't have a clear understanding of God as Father, right, then nothing else, not, not, everything flows from that. And a lot of these women have uh, received trauma or abuse at the hands of uh, an important man in their life. So talk to me a little bit about, about getting through that part of the spiritual formation. Um, so part of the spiritual formation, um, on Friday, um, women who, um, they, they have identified that there's trauma. Um, we have what we call uh, a program that someone I created um, to help them identify that, tr that trauma. And we start by them writing their story. Many of the times they've never written their story and no one's never asked them what happened or why did it happen or why did they feel. And so then once they can write their story and they can identify it and they can see it, um, one of the tools we use outside of the, of the cycle journey book is Identity Matters. Um, first helping them to identify that they do matter. Um, and then they're able to get to the root cause of what has caused this trauma. And so um, now they can identify with this loving father that he does love me. Um, of course, many a times I use my story. Um, I um, um, was molested from the age of three to 12. Um, I became pregnant at 13 out of that abuse. Um, so when you, when I went to a church service one night and this woman came to me and said, I feel like I should pray for you. And um, I was like, no, uh, why? And she was like, you know, I want to pray for you. And she did. Um, but she was consistent. She kept coming back even though I said, no, I don't want this. Um, but she would show that love. And finally, she just was able to break the wall. And the one thing she asked me is what happened. And I told her my story, and in telling her my story, I then was able, just through the, um, constant um, uh, one-on-ones and um, um, her giving me simple scriptures um, of God's love towards me, and then, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit was doing the work of changing those things on how I was able to identify and see myself, um, that in that year time, I was able to then say, okay, I can I can see it. You know, I had this. I had an encounter with the Lord, and then I was like, "Oh, I, I get it." And then, you know, I, then I just I've been running ever since kind of situation. Um, so um, definitely, um, um, that that's another um, not necessarily the stronghold, but helping them um, even um, say what happened, yeah. articulate their narrative. articulate their narrative yeah. of what yeah. what what happened. Uh, if you want to give the mm -hmm. microphone to Keith. Thank you. Um, so Keith, how does the fact that you work in the music industry and are a believer inform the way you do your business? Um, well, first of all, um, we kind of uh, made a commitment when my wife and I launched our arts management company about 10 years ago that we 
we want to be equally yoked with those that we work with. So whether we're working, uh, the genre is not as important, but working with believers is important because um, we want to know that, you know, we're, we're at least, um, you know, chasing after the, yeah. the the same God and the same Jesus um, for the, you know, the ultimate um, result. So I would say that's probably... Um, How does it give you standing as you speak into the life of those who are believers who have great success and even those who maybe are just still trying to make it because they know that you are a believer and because you're not, you know, a a random pastor somewhere, you are actually in the business with them. Like, is it different? Is there a different dynamic? Um, you know, I, I would say probably for, for myself, the, 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 the previous history that I have in the music business probably helps give some street cred yeah. to it um, because I, I worked on the, the mainstream side of the business first part of my career and um, you know most artists that are looking to get in the business they've got stars in their eyes you know so if they see that you've worked with some, some bigger artists and stuff then that uh, that gives you that uh, worldly credibility um, and some of them are um, you know they're, they're, they're quite surprised you know when we do start working with them on how focused we are uh, more on you know discipling and mentoring them than we are on putting them on the billboard charts um, so um, but if you warn them about something they might be more willing to listen to it right. because you may have walked that with another artist that they may have heard of or right. you know you can yes. say I've, I've done this ten times and eight times right that happened. It's ended up that way right and I you know for me I, uh, I actually have an artist in our family I married into a, uh, my wife's uh, daughter my stepdaughter was a very successful artist so um, you know, we've got a, a, a history and a road of seeing and, you know, uh, a lot in the business. So um, I think, you know, there have been some drawn to us because of that also in that experience. So, so Rochelle was talking about spiritual strongholds, that, that stronghold of rejection, and also, you know, dealing with uh, the abandonment issues and kind of the, the difficulty of seeing God as Father. What would you say are the spiritual strongholds that you have to disciple people through who are drawn to artists, uh, to, 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 you know, to the entertainment industry? I say the, the biggest stronghold is the ego and me um, in that because, you know, in the entertainment business, you know, it's built around somebody being on a stage and, um, and everybody's, you know, from the time these most of these folks have been doing this music stuff, uh, from the time they were small, and so they had to perform for the applause. And um, that's probably, you know, it's the if you've ever heard the Charlie Daniels song, "The Devil Came Down to Georgia," you know that that pretty much sums it up, you know, because they um, most artists they want that fame and the the, the ego, you know. Um, I guess the, the ego built inside them whether they realize it or not they're chasing that because they've been trained that way by the applause uh, you've written a book in which you talk about the difference between stage and platform and we had a really interesting discussion about that can you talk about how you've been able to explain that and kind of uh, train the people you're working with to understand the difference between the two and and how one can be used for simply chasing short-term gain and, and one is, is something that's longer. Yeah, we try to, um, uh, we try to, to, to help the artists that we work with and anybody that we come in contact with in the business really understand the difference between um, uh, a platform and a stage. And um, we, we try to help them understand that, that that platform is something even like with Dave, if you guys were in the session earlier, was kind of uh, talking about here as far as um, your, um, 
your natural abilities and your you know what you've been gifted in and, 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 and called to do um, the uh, we all have a platform you know and we try to help you know whether you know whether you're working you know in a grocery store or uh, on a football field or, or uh, a restaurant or whatever we've all been given a platform and um, and, and influence that God has given us to influence those around us. And we try to help them understand that their platform is really no different than anybody else's. It's just a different kind of platform. And so um, understanding that as the applause comes um, to, um, um, you know, to, to, to not get caught up in the, uh, in the focus being on themselves and on me, because when that happens, that platform turns into a stage. And so, um, and it's hard, it's really hard for artists to deal with that. Um, and, you know, I, I have artists that are on our roster, the roster that I have to remind daily of that because we get so caught up in that. Even though they know the difference between a platform and a stage, it's just everything in the business is based on that, you know, performance. How many people came to your show? How many people uh, are listening to you on Spotify? How many people showed up at your concert? Um, so... And it's very similar to the your chaplain for the football players. Same thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to pass the microphone down to uh, Kent, I'm sure everything you're hearing right now that he's saying is is resonating with you, um, even in your, the short time that you've been with the Steelers. Tell me, tell me what's what's jumping out at you. Yeah, I think so. In the just in a stronghold conversation about a performance-based culture. Um, this is a, I remember a training camp when I saw on the whiteboard, so think the whiteboard that's you know behind us, and you have your number in descending order of those who are gonna be starting. The guy who's starting is up at the top, and then you see as you come in, and the next day, you could have been slotted up here because you had a bad day the day before, you are now at the bottom. And so your performance is a daily reminder of this is my job and I'm not performing well, so my identity is tied to now I'm on the bottom of the list. And you begin to see guys, you know, their shoulders slump because they realize that if I don't perform well in training camp, I'm not going to make this 53-man roster. And so performance is a huge stronghold. Their identity wrapped up in what I do, not just many people think in the NFL it's what happens on a football field on a Sunday. It's actually what happens, you know, on a Tuesday. They have to keep that job because the next, if a guy performs better than you, you're done and you'll get cut. So I, that's what's resonating with me is the same as an artist. The applause, it's not so much the applause that they're playing for because they don't care because they've made it to the NFL, but it's the, the recognition of the, my coaches and the GM to keep me in that position. So I'm playing for that guy. That, if I, my identity is in that. So. Um, I know that some people in the audience might say, so... If you're a chaplain for the Steelers, like what verses are you giving them in the Bible? Like, were there athletes? Were there stories about athletes in the Bible that you're like pointing to, you know, um, that you can say, hey, it's like, uh, I mean, she can talk about Paul was in prison, you know, uh, right? Like, you know, but, but like, what, who, what are the, who are the people that you are going to for inspiration as you try to disciple on these topics? Um, that you go, oh, those are my go-to guys. Yeah, so, I mean, scripturally, you look at Paul and you see that we, you know, we compete for the ultimate prize, right, in the faith. And, and you could easily go there um, as a chaplain and try to relate everything to sports in their mind. However, I, f I forget where the conversation took place today that, um, you know, in the Gen Z date, they're looking for a different kind of conversation. I recognized very quickly because I was trying to relate everything to the sport of football. And they were like, bro, we, we don't, in this setting, if we're gonna come to you and chat, 
like we we're interested in hearing about God, not about you trying to relate it to football, sports, anything. Um, and so I made a decision real early on um, that I am just going to because it's almost like I'm trying to do in the NFL amongst the Steelers a pre-discipleship. You know, many of these guys are coming without a category because if you think about their life for the last however many years in the in college they they're not able to be a part of a church in the NFL you cannot be a part of a church you're playing on the weekend you're on the road you're, you cannot get to a physical service so they don't really have a category for any of this stuff so I just made a commitment I'm just going to walk through the gospel so that they understand, you know, of who Jesus is. So currently walking through the gospel of Mark and just saying, did you know that Jesus did this? Did you know? And like, it's, oh my goodness. Never, what we might assume that some know about the scriptures, these guys have never heard the story, right? We, we might, um, you know, we're sitting in a kid's classroom right now and our we assume that our kids are learning some of these stories about Jesus in the boat and the hall. And they were amazed that Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves. And you could just see it in their eyes. They're like, oh my goodness, Jesus can speak to the wind and it dies down. Like, it, I was amazed to watch that. So I'm, it's almost like I'm doing pre-discipleship to even get them to meet Jesus then I hope that, because I've only been with the team for, you know, three months now, I hope to be able to see those hungry of heart that are leaning in to say, okay, now I know you're ready to be discipled because you have a faith in Jesus and are trying to understand what it means to follow him. So come on, man. Yeah. Let's take this further. You're the only one on this panel. Um, so, you know, Rochelle is working with incarcerated women and she was formerly incarcerated Keith is working with musicians, and he, you know, works in that business. Uh, Chet, you used to be a young adult. very young adult, and <laughs> you are still a young adult. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, Kent, you are probably a, a, a fine athlete in your time, but you are not a professional football player. Um, but you are you are working with professional football players, so that's possible. That's my, my guess is, is your answer is you just got to be there, right? Like you have to, in order to disciple them, you have to be available right. and to be there. Yeah, and I, um, I've heard it described as just simply the ministry of presence. Mm -hmm. um, I have the, the privilege, not every NFL chaplain has the privilege, as I do, to be able to actually be in the locker room, uh, to be around the facility. So I pick those strategic times where the players know that I'm going to just simply be around. And then I obviously have my, okay, we've got our chapel times. We have our Bible study times with the coaches, Bible studies with the players. Um, so that there's those strategic times, but it's simply, sometimes I just park in the cafeteria and I just want them to know that I'm around uh, for them. And I'm just in this saying, being that I've never, you know, if, if we, if we have something to relate to in our story, I, I can't relate to the NFL. I don't know how to do that. I've never, you know, played it down in the NFL. I've watched every down in the, you know, Steelers. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know what it's like. And so somebody just gave me some incredible wise advice. Um, just be you, right? You do you. Um, and don't try to pretend. So I'm as white as possibly can be. And I am now the minority when I've always been in the majority. So I have a great friend, Sean Holland, who has helped me understand in the African-American culture, like there's been some things that I, he's helped me understand. These guys are testing you when they say that. And, and good thing you didn't try to like brother up on them. Right? Because you're, you're white. I'm literally from a place called Beaver County. Um, so I'm as white as can be. And he's like, just be white. Yeah. Don't try to even like get in. Don't, don't try to be anybody but you. And I've just watched as guys, I'm as white as can be. And they're like, we know PK. You know? And it's, it's 
just being myself, and and they're they're them, I'm me, and and it's the heart is what is God is bringing out in both of us. So, uh, you can pass the mic to Chet. Um, Chet, you are ministering not to people in a certain vocation, as I said, but uh, to a people group who are getting ready to launch into a vocation, or those who are in the formational stage of working uh, in in kind of the early stages of a vocation, deciding if they if they want to be in it. What are the things that they need to be discipled in? Um, I mean, literally all the ways of God, right, and the character of God, but. One of the things that I guess grabbed my heart was in the first year or two that I was pastoring these young adults, having conversations with them about how is it going in your studies? And, and they, they, they would come out with these mostly flat answers to me. And so I, I, I started going, like, do you like this? Do you want to do it? Long story short, eventually it came out that that most of them are going, well, yeah, this is good, but God's not really probably going to bless us or be happy with it unless I'm a pastor or a missionary or, you know, or I have to be involved in all these overt Christian things on the side. Then maybe God's going to be okay, right? And, and I just thought, oh, this is so sad. You know, and so um, one of the things that I start every year with, with all these uh, new college students that come into the group, is I just do a talk where, where basically I go, I don't want you all to become pastors and missionaries. Like, please don't. We, we can't afford to support that many missionaries. <laughs> like, where's the money going to come from, you know? And, and instead to go, we want you to know Jesus know his ways and and grow in maturity and represent him in a, in the most mature way you can in whatever field you're studying right now that field that grabs your heart that you you have a passion for but you're almost feeling guilty that you have a passion for so it's something that that to come alongside of them and go no like that's the dream of god in your heart for that now what are god's ways that, and, and his character that shine through the most in that area. And just wanting to come along and, and encourage them and breathe life into them in those areas, you know? Uh, I, I said in my intro with you that you kind of helped develop this leadership course as a result of seeing some public falls. Um, and, you know, there has been some of that in the news recently among uh, some folks who were who were very publicly known worship leaders or, you know, pastors who've really turned their back on, on the faith yeah. uh, recently. And there's been a lot of kind of inward navel-gazing, you know, in Christendom kind of saying, what happened? You know, what, how did these people get put on these platforms, you know, at such an early age, you know, with the passion and the excitement, but maybe the character wasn't quite developed. Maybe God's ways weren't sewn in. Um, talk to me a little about that as you've seen that kind of stuff develop in the news. How has that hit your heart? How have you talked to your people about that? Um, and what, what are the kinds of things that, that you're saying, okay, we got to make sure we, we teach this. We've got to make sure we're on top of this. Yeah, I, I think uh, we've, over the years, we've seen people... Uh, you know, certain skills or attributes get a lot of praise and attention. And then you see people rise up in influence without having the character to sustain that influence. Um, and so it's when that happens in such a public way with the younger generation who is already being inundated with teaching uh, you know, like we heard this morning in the first main session that science is going to win out and they want justice, they want unity, all, you know, all of these things. And then you read the gospel or you, you read the Bible and it's 
full of God's ways, which kind of start to draw the line on some of those issues. And then you see these leaders fall. And, and it just adds fuel to the fire of, well, what is the Bible all about? And why does God allow this in the Old Testament? And why does he say this in the New Testament then? And, and so it all starts to disintegrate for this younger generation that is going, what am I supposed to grab a hold of? Because everything in the news with the leaders that they once looked up to that were wearing the title of Christian, um, you know, to, to what the, even in, in university or college, is being taught and the Bible's even being used as a way to kind of go, hey, this is, this is why this is kind of garbage over here, right? Because this is what the world wants, is all, why can't we all just be in unity on this? And, and that's the way the whole world is going. It just adds fuel to the fire. So that's our culture. Um, if you were in the last session, um, Dave talked about how our culture, like that lens is the closest to our face right now for 20-somethings. And so to, to invest into that demographic and cause them to move that lens out a little bit further, and I don't know how to demonstrate this with them one hand so but uh, you know move that lens out a little further because they're going here's the world we live in and I'm supposed to decipher like here's these glimpses of God my one hour on Sunday morning where I'm told this is the way God is but I have to look through it first through this lens of the culture that I'm in and somehow we've got to push back that other lens and and in a really strategic way uh, and an intentional and consistent way, bring the character of God and the ways of God as the first lens, so that when they're looking through that lens first and the world is coming at them, they're going, oh, wait, I see it now. Like, I've got to align the world and the things of the world through this lens first, not this way around. And so I think the challenge is uh, you know, with intentionally trying to disciple that generation is bringing that lens into the foreground. And, uh, and some of them are ready for it and desiring it, and some of them are, are like, not buying into it. It's, it's too much work, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you answered my last question for me, so good. Um, questions? Wow, we were that good. <laughs> no questions? Do any of you have examples of what you all have been trying to do in your uh, contexts, um, whether it be in your church or in your vocation? Um, one thing that we talk about at Lineshare is that um, it obviously has, there has to be relationship. You can only speak into someone's life to the degree that you have relationship with them, right? Um, but we also talk about the need for a tool. Uh, if you're just kind of meeting and talking haphazardly, you could just, you know, go on and on and talk about all kinds of stuff and it ends up just being coffee and, and, and conversation. But there, there needs to be a tool. And so uh, we have a tool called a Discipleship Journey, uh, and it's a year-long, uh, I hate to use the word curriculum, so we, use it, we, we like to use the word tool better. There are videos that accompany it that you can just watch on your phone, like 10 to 12 minutes, and then uh, each chapter is divided into four sections, and it has everything from... Um, the ones that I have found that people respond the most to and that I responded uh, the most to when I first went through it was I had never learned a lot about the Holy Spirit uh, growing up. That just wasn't a part of my tradition. Uh, spiritual warfare, that wasn't something that was really talked a lot about uh, in, in, in my background. Uh, there's a whole chapter here on relationships um, a whole other chapter that has a section on the fear of the Lord. And 
people don't really, you don't hear too many sermons on the, the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and the fear of the Lord applies to so many things, right? You can take uh, the fear of the Lord and apply it in a vocational context in each of the ways that the, each of these people could take the fear of the Lord and apply it to somebody that they're uh, currently discipling, right? Um, there is a chapter on hearing the voice of God. So when I first went, started going down this journey of, of feeling like, okay, I need to be a part of the Great Commission. I need to be a part of, of doing what Jesus has asked me to do to disciple, disciple people. And I wasn't disciple, and I'm going to go out and disciple media professionals. Well, that is not what has ended up happening. I've ended up discipling moms. <laughs> and we do it, some of it in person. Um, we do it on Zoom. Uh, because uh, that's a great time to do it during naps, you know, baby naps, or after you put the kids down at night, uh, you know, nine o'clock at night, that's a great time to, to do a discipling phone call. Um, and I'm, I'm currently discipling um, a woman who is in a very, very difficult marriage. And so going through hearing the voice of God, right, as she decides what are the next steps she needs to take? Who does she need to talk to? What are the things that she needs to do? These are biblical things that we can go through. People I've taken through um, this tool before will call me and say, I'm struggling with a decision, or I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm a 40-something woman and I'm still not married, and I don't feel like I have a place in my church, right? I'll say, okay, go to the relationships chapter, go study it, we're going to schedule a phone call for next week, and let's go back and review what we talked about three years ago, right? Let's go back to scripture. Let's go back to what God revealed to you during that time. So that would just be my recommendation to all of you is, is find that point of um, kind of relational, you know, relational currency. Find a tool. Um, it could even be a biography of somebody who works in that field that you both admire, that you want to, you know, learn more about. Um, but then find a tool that can help with spiritual formation, and that will help center your conversations, and it, it won't be wasted time. So, is there anything? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Mr. Buring. <laughs> so, for each of the four of you right now, with the people that you're trying to grow spiritually in the locations that you're in, what's the number one topic you find uh, people needing most help with? So I'd like to hear from all four of you. Like, what's the most important topic? I'm just curious to hear. Yes, so the author of the tool would like to know <laughs> what's the number one topic that people seem to need the most um, the most discipling, the most discipleship about, right? Um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about biblical illiteracy, um, and so this is a this is a good question that kind of combines those two thoughts. Rochelle, sure. Um, well, currently, um, it's funny you said that. Um, a lot of the women kept saying they had issues with hearing from God especially when they're in the Word. So um, I went back and we created, and now we're in our fourth week. It's called Come to the Table. And so we basically set up a table if it was the Lord's table, and they're able to come to the table um, with those questions, or uh, right now we're in Ephesians 6, understanding the armor of God, and how do I hear the Lord, and what is the importance of the armor. And so we've just watched um, how the Lord has taken this over. We had one young lady who started the class, um, and she wouldn't even talk in the course, um, but she came to me and she said, I would like to teach Bible study next week. And she's coming from the place, um, she wants to be an attorney, and literally she wrote a Bible study as a case summary. Mm -hmm. And so um, um, I think just from hearing from, the, hearing from the Lord, and something I wanted to add to one of the questions um, when we talk about the disciple of the women, um, for every woman that I disciple, I save a generation because she comes with her children. She comes with her aunt, her mother, whomever was caring for her children. 
So I think discipleship is important because when you're you're discipling one, you're actually saving the generation behind them. Because I know when I, um, my children didn't know me as a godly mother. They knew me as a good mom. Um, and so I was gone away from them for six years. So when I came back into their life as this, who are you? Um, and having to disciple them, um, it was difficulty because they were like, I don't even know what that is. And so, um, but in doing so and the consistency of that, um, because my children were like, well, what is this God? What do you mean hear from him? That was their issue. Um, but now all three of my children, I don't know how that, your parents are all ministers and they married ministers. So, um, but that comes from just that discipleship. So not only did I say my generation, but my, my granddaughters and my grandsons, when they come, you know, we're going to Nana's and we're going to do Bible study. Mm -hmm. So it's those things. So I, um, I think the hearing from God. I think the biggest thing that um, that uh, that I that I the folks I work with would be being in the world but not of the world. Um, they really struggle with that, and um, in particular because of the the false teachers that have been you know planted in Christian leadership that um, actually teach just be in the world, <laughs> you know. So that's that's probably the biggest biggest issue. It's funny you said that because I feel like we should probably hang out. Sure. <laughs> um, one of the things that I found out with the, the young men um, that I'm sitting with is that I biblical literacy is a huge thing. Um, I they're they're. How do I even say this? Well, they don't own Bibles. They they don't know that that's a thing. Um, when I introduce them to a Bible app or a devotional, words like that don't mean a thing to the the majority, ninety five to ninety nine percent of these guys. Um, and so everything that they have heard about faith, about Jesus, about God has come from the tweets, social media, the 30-second snippets of people's teachings. Um, and if it captures them, they might listen further or read, but they develop a bit of a theology based off of a 30-second video from some of the very famous teachers, preachers, that are out there, and and not all of them are, are bad, but this this whole thing of false teaching, they don't have a reference point to point it back to, so they don't even know that they should open their Bible to be able to find that, you know, true north, um, and so their true north is all over the map. So it is if it's one thing that I'm trying to help them understand, it's it's. Here's how you read the scripture. I have to convince them that scripture is truth. So that's one thing. The, the other thing that I would say in the NFL is that um, I'm trying to help these guys understand that there is an enemy of their soul. And because I believe that they have been given the largest platform in the world, and that is, I could probably debate that into, it is, it is the the largest platform in the world that these men have. Um, every Sunday, the world, by the billions, watches. And to help them understand that if they are going to begin to follow Jesus, they have an enemy who's going to take them out. So spiritual warfare is something that I'm trying to help them recognize um, that this, you have an enemy, and he's going to come and take you out. Do you know you know, the question that Dave asked in the last session, if you were the enemy, how would you take you out? The guy, they don't have a category for what that even means yet. So I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, it would be biblical illiteracy as well um, for, for that age group because um, much like Ken just shared, like they are, they are forming their, their view of God and how how God is, his ways, based on these little snippets. But there isn't that same foundation. Like, I love the, the passage in the, 
first session, Judges 2.10. Like, it only takes one generation not having that foundation before it can all be lost. And, and so, um, you know, f for me, it, it's like, if we cannot get them into the Word of God, not just as individuals, there's value in that, but with a group of people discussing in a relative way how what they just read is lived out in the world we live in, in the culture we live in, um, then, then because they, if they read it on their own, there's still going to be value in that, but they could still spin off on their own understanding based on all the teaching they're getting at university and college, based on the little like snippets here and there in the news, podcasts, whatever, like, you know, the, the, to a certain degree, church becomes irrelevant if it's only about getting information out. Because I can get the best of the best online all the time, right? So there's got to be value in the relationships, the fellowship. And so I think there's, there's something about getting them reading the Word of God together, and then bringing up some of these issues um, that things really start to settle in because they go, oh, you're, you're wrestling with that too, and so, so am I. And now, now we're kind of on the same, okay, I'm not alone in this now. And that's an important thing for 20-somethings. Well, um, I want to leave you all with three things. Um, one, our next session is actually hosted by Kent Chevalier. And it's going to be about the Holy Spirit uh, and disciple-making. Um, this is one of the things that I think sets us um, as a ministry a little bit apart from some of the other ones that are here. Uh, one of the main questions that we ask people um, is, is not to fill out our tool like a Bible study. We, we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit saying, what is the Holy Spirit revealing to you as you're reading this? And you could have six people around the circle and they might all come away with something completely different after having read five verses because God is speaking to them actively through Scripture. Um, and so uh, Kent's going to kind of walk you through that, and that's always been a really popular uh, session here that we've done at the National Disciple Making Forum. Uh, and then tomorrow morning we'll have a, a, a talk on the pacing of Jesus, um, a really important teaching in my life that Dave and one of my mentors, Nancy Reese, will be involved in, um, so it's worth waking up for. And then... Um, uh, our final session will be uh, Hot Topics in Disciple Making. And that session actually was birthed out of the forum last year. We had some young people who came to some of our sessions who asked really difficult questions about how do I handle when someone asks me difficult questions as I'm discipling them about same-sex attraction, about women in church leadership, about um, the church, church too issues. You know, how do I handle these questions uh, in a way that honors God, that honors the Bible? Uh, and so I'm really excited about that session, and I hope that you'll come back for that. Um, that was also birthed out of uh, the Selah retreat that I mentioned when I introduced Keith. Uh, artists are at the forefront of this. Many of you may remember that Lauren Diggle was asked this question earlier this year. Mandisa, who somebody mentioned um, in our last session, was also kind of got a little flack when she was asked uh, a question about LGBT issues. Um, this is something that Christian artists come up against, you know, very, very much, you know, as soon as they kind of hit some areas of success. And so if you have um, people in your uh, church, in your relationships, who are artists, um, people who are entertainers, people who are worship leaders, who you think would benefit from going to a retreat in which they will learn about identity, but also um, kind of the true meaning of worship, uh, and, and would benefit from being with other artists, um, check out our website lionshare.org, you'll see that there's a, a page there um, that explains all about Selah. It takes place in January. 
So, um, and you can also talk to Keith and Dave about that and they'll tell you more about it. And finally, um, we have a gift for you. Uh, this is a recording we did with some fathers of the faith. Um, Lloyd Ogilvie, who passed away this summer, uh, who was a Senate chaplain during 9-11, Jack Hayford um, from Foursquare Church, um, Winky Prattney, uh, Lauren Cunningham with Youth with a Mission, Dr. Henry Blackaby, and, um, and we would love to gift this to you. Uh, if you would like it, all you have to do is pay shipping, um, and it's a great small group resource. You can sign up for it. My beautiful stand-up model there, Mel, uh, has the clipboard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, there you stood up. Uh, yes. Sit down, sorry. Uh, sit down model. My, my other beautiful sit down model. Um, we'll take your uh, email address and I'll send you a link um, in the next week or so. Um, so that's it. Please thank our panel for being here. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the discipleship.org collective and get your free membership with tons of resources. There's a premium version too. Check it out at discipleship.org slash collective. Thanks for listening. Until next time.